This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Futurology. This is Brett Sinclair, the squirrel rocker, digital disruptor. It's absolutely fabulous to be back this week. And I'm really pleased to have Mike in the show this week. Mike, how are you doing, yeah, bud? I'm so happy to be back, actually. I've, I've missed the show. I really have missed the show. The show weeks. has not missed you. Thank you. I feel so much better about myself. This is, uh, you know, c- come here for a great self-confidence boost and, uh, and a sense of self-worth. And I have rejec- reje- rejection, reje- rejection issues. Um, yeah, I can't even speak You can't even like. say rejection. I can't. It's, it's, it's too painful. It's just right. too painful. And, and I'd like to welcome Brett. Oh, wait. Brett's not here. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's lost, right? <laughs> I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> we had such a great show last week. Uh, the guys from Intellect really blew my mind a bit. Yeah, uh, really getting into the techie depth of artificial intelligence. So, um, please go 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 back in time. So, literally, go onto our podcast, have a listen to last week's show. It was fascinating. It really came from a, a really geeky technical point of view. Um, if you're into artificial intelligence, that's the thing. Uh, the thing to do. Um, while you're there. Uh, Please like us, give us a five-star rating on all the podcast mechanisms. Um, and also, we're on a at handle, as Brett always says. That's right. Futurology <laughs> show. So please follow us, uh, retweet us. We will be doing some tweets as we go throughout the show. Um, and for Brett Lindsay, we're going to miss you, bud. Uh, yeah, but we will. We've actually got a bit of a legend in the show today, um, Vincent Hoffman. How you doing, bud? Very good, and you guys? Yeah, good. Good. Can't complain. Thanks, Vince. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. It, it has been. Very it has. interesting. It has. What's so, made it so interesting? I, you know, there's Gupta's family. Uh, are you, are you related? <laughs> I am actually. I'm actually the fourth Gupta. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> okay. No Sahari here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know, and it could be some emails floating around. There right, could Mike? be, there really could. With Brett Lindsay's name on it, check Probably. that, check that, check that, <laughs> check that. I promised my family I'd never appear in a leak, ah, which oh. is something the fourth Gupta wouldn't do. But I mean, it's it's something I'm genuinely concerned about. That's my worst nightmare: is waking yeah. up in your inner. Enter a news report and it says appears in email and I just think not a good email. No, not a good email. <laughs> not not a good email. Yeah. So Vince, actually, I'm I, like, give us a bit of a like kind of brief background. What are your passions? What are you interested in? Kind of what do you do? I mean, you've got a great business, right? Oh, I hope so. Um, so I guess <laughs> the background is I'm a failed sociologist, wanted desperately to be a sociology lecturer, and then found myself boring myself while I was talking. So I just stopped. <laughs> You stop while you're here, right? First uh, lecture and just think, no. Fell fast. Uh, so uh, this is going to be a great conversation. I, I, I thought you literally fell asleep there whilst you were actually lecturing. You were so bored. I think some of my lecturers would have probably said, yes, he did fall asleep. <laughs> and many people <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> it was just super weird being in front of a bunch of really smart people and then trying to build us them and say that you've read the books that you should have yeah. and hadn't. Um, and then sort of exited the sociology industry, which is quite small in South Africa. It's quite a small niche if we yeah. had yeah, maybe 10 people. Okay. Um, as right. an industry. Um, and joined a social media firm, which uh, is quite prominent, called Cerebra. Yeah. Yes. Called that's work with a, yeah. Yeah, with a great team there, Mike and his team. And then sort of six years ago, I just decided that I'm really passionate about combining my interest in social systems, um, creativity, yeah. and organizations into a company called Inquisition, yeah. which now today looks at the future of work um, and beautiful. largely the, the category around that. But then while I was doing that, I got really bored. Um, with just doing consulting on the future of work and Pelesa, my business partner, and I started another business called Signal, which is trying to look at the way that technology or humans and tech play together. So we're doing a lot of work 
in the smart connected devices okay. space. I love it. Um, just being able to pursue our interest in that, not lose the design, doing design for other people, um, which is something that I'm, I was really nervous about losing. Okay. So, so that's more like the internet of things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. building really smart devices that, that help us live better. Yeah. We've kind of given ourselves as a constraint not to be part of what we would uh, largely call the internet of shit. Oh, that, um, mm. that's a great term, actually. Uh, so 99. there's an amazing Twitter account that you've got to follow called the Internet of Shit. Really? <laughs> oh, um, done. And it's really just devices which don't improve your lives. And I think that there's enough noise yes. online and enough noise in the in the smart connected devices space for us to really go down the wrong path. So we've just made it as a constraint. The tech that we make has to improve people's lives. Um, and uh, it's in the service of making people work better or live better. I, I think that's a that's a really good um, philosophy because equally, if you look at a lot of the businesses, certainly a lot of the startup businesses coming out, they, they don't fundamentally solve real human problems. And and for me, it's kind of like the so what factor. You know, what's the point of actually doing something? You know, you're really just chasing an IPO. Um, and as you say, it's been a very very interesting week, you know couple of weeks, and we see these big consultancies. Starting to uh, take a C bit word. of a word. Yeah, the exactly. C word. Yeah. See you next Tuesday, right? Yeah, more than see you next Tuesday, hopefully for a long time to come. But, I mean, it talks also to, to this world of consultancies and, and what, what's going on. And that's and, our and theme today. Guys. That is the theme. That's why, that's why I was leading into I like into that really segue. Impressive. That was so natural. It was Jeez. natural. Yeah. You're a pro. <laughs> I was told other things, but you are a pro. <laughs> I'm feeling so much better. What, what was Brett sending you on the WhatsApp group earlier? Well, he said you didn't drink, so. Yeah. No, yeah, we um, mourned. I, I had to take a break from drinking, unfortunately. So, yeah. No, it's just interesting. I mean, you mentioned this, this idea of value. And so a lot of startups yeah. str- struggle with that. We've coached a few startups, um, with affiliation to Hack Josie. And so okay. some really interesting young people come to us with their ideas. And obviously as a design firm, the number one thing that you've got to do is obviously address a human need. Correct. And the second thing is it shouldn't have been fulfilled by someone else. Yeah. So yeah. You, uh, innovation typically, I mean, it wouldn't be innovation if it wasn't fulfilling something that hadn't been done before. And so you look at consultancies and you think, what need are you fulfilling? I mean, what? how are you right. improving our species? In the right. past, I'd imagine if we were standing in front of conveyor belts, a lot of the efficiencies yeah. that they created would have been great. People would have lived better because of consultancies, particularly around the sort of the adoption of the early scientific management practices. But look at them now and you wonder what – do no, you do for us as a species? It's, it's really easy. They have helped advance PowerPoint. And they've done Something, well. They've really pushed PowerPoint to the extreme, no, I think. No, there's, there's with, no, with hundreds of pages and slides. That just, no, there's one, one other thing that they've mm-hmm. actually produced very well, and I can say this with a certain degree of authority because mm-hmm. I did spend some time in a consultancy, um, Which was the printing factor. <laughs> You know, uh, no, because, you know, it's the thing factor and, and every, every page costs a thousand rand, which is what they really are about wow. in a lot of senses. That's quite a you, publication, right? It, it is quite a publication. Um, but, but you know, to, to, to the thought though is a, a lot of these consultancies have really brilliant people and, and a lot of this incredible talent is mm. probably getting wasted on an hourly rate. Yeah. And, and, and what, what's the outcome of their work? A large por- portion of the really, the sort of big four are labor cutters. Or cost consultants. Yeah. So they yeah. get involved in projects where they look for efficiencies in big business. Yeah. Instead of asking themselves, well, how could we prove the well-being of these people? Um, yeah. So instead of saying, hey, in the banking space, which is a, lot of, a large percentage of the work that we do, how can we replace tellers with machines? Yeah. That's typically the way they would start. Yeah. We might start that same project, which was how can we repurpose tellers to do something better with their lives? Sales. And I'm very yeah, – yeah, and I'm very nervous mm. – that large percentage of the consultants that they're very smart people because they are 
brilliant people. I, I, I'm not brilliant enough to be a consultant. Maybe that's why I'm so uh, jealous. Well, well, maybe you've, that that's why you're not asking the wrong questions. Well, the, the guys are shaped right, so they go to the right universities. They they come from the right schools. They're going through the right programs. And like, I've, I've I've spent quite a bit of time with the Baines of the world. Very impressive people, guys. Like, yeah. we, we we can't discount that. I think what they're lacking is uh, maybe a touch on what's actually required. I think I, I like I like the way we've started, right? I I. I there are, but uh, I mean, the, the real problem with consultancies is it's it's about what's inside of the organisation and how, how much money they can actually make at the end of the day. Well, that's and, a challenge, right? It, 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 it is under pressure. It is it is under pressure, and and you look deeper into the organisation. It's what you do, Vince. It's around the world of culture. Um, you know, you know, when when I spent my my year at my in my consultancy, I don't want to. Bad math, because I, I, you know, they they really are good people. But the culture is really around this high performance culture, and you buy into this beautiful idea of I'm brilliant, and we've got to perform, and we've got to be working like these slick operators. But the reality is, it's just a money machine. It's a sweat shop. It really is, and it's a, it's like the auditing firms. The lower you are, the more you sweat. The higher you are, the more you sell and earn. It's really as simple as that. It's not a complicated model, and, and that's what it is. And it speaks to a fundamental flaw in their business model, which is all these brilliant people sold as capacity. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if you look at that, I mean, the number one flaw, I suppose, with consultancies is how far away they are from the front lines of most mm-hmm. of the organizations they're trying to help. Yeah. So the engine room is kept far away from a consultancy because really that's not where they should be meddling. So they ended up tooling away at doing fairly meaningless work um, Mm. and stretching their contracts out as far as possible so that they can earn some more money. Whereas instead, imagine that community of brilliant people were tasked with trying to improve the well-being of an organization. There's no doubt in my mind they can do it. You can see there's a fundamental shift taking place in their purpose as organizations. McKinsey, Deloitte… Uh, Genesis, Bain, do are trying to change, but I worry that their incentive schemes, particularly for consultants, hasn't changed along with it. So they're almost yeah. not willing to transform, but they're preaching transformation to the to their clients, and that's Boom. really scary. Boom! Yeah. I mean, you got you you picked on the uh, the business model, right? And I think, Mike, you've been in the thick of it, and that model of well. We've got our consultants out there that are doing the work, but we've put a target on their heads, and that target looms every quarter. Your natural kind of outcome of that kind of incentive is that the consultant will upsell, right? Yeah. Which is great for the organization as as the consultancy, but the customer who wants the job done as quickly as possible and get the value out of that consultant's time finds himself with more and more change requests and projects being pushed out and delays that expand that timeline that seems to go on for ever and ever and ever. So the model is actually counterintuitive to them actually transforming, right? Absolutely. And and one of the big things, obviously, and and I'm sure you've touched on this in many of your shows, is the accelerated pace of change. Yeah. If you think in the past historically, the reason I would hire a consultant is for expertise. Correct. Yeah. It's a domain, deep domain speciality. Mm. And if you look at this in the tech space, particularly if I had to bring it back to some of the work that we do in the robotics field, we don't half the time know what we're doing uh, with weak gaps between projects. Yeah. Stuff's changed so much. There's a new API or there's a yeah. new exciting piece of tech yeah. that even if we develop specialization, deep specialization, the world would have moved very quickly on in two weeks. So yeah. if you look at that, even that piece of the work, the expert, the provider of expertise – um, there's a fundamental challenge to that, which is the world's moving too fast. Instead, perhaps, and, and you can see that, I suppose, in the rise of the agile coach. Perhaps there should be more work done on the way that we work. 
rather yeah. than trying to add doses of information now and again. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know if you've read uh, Kevin Kelly's Twelve Inevitable Laws. I don't read books. Okay, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, listen to them. Yes, yeah, you listen to. I was about to say. No, I haven't read this one, so I'd actually yeah. be really interested. Yeah. So. Um, it, it was a really interesting book in the sense that he he broke down ten ten law, uh, twelve laws. Sorry, I think it is. Yeah, um, and and the first one is that everything is becoming, and and it speaks to the space of change and and the impact of this becoming is. How, how does our education system work? You, you cannot be a deep domain specialist anymore because the world is moving at such a dramatically faster dynamic pace that you can't actually physically keep up with everything that is possible. Uh, and, and it is a, it's a fundamental principle that, that most organizations can't see because they're too, their eyes are too closed and too blinkered. Yeah. And it's, and it's, if I look at the technical expertise, so if you look at the average programmer, most of their university has been spent say developing a skill yeah. in Java or PHP yeah. and they become code experts, yeah. not problem solvers, code experts. And I'm very concerned for them that 20 to 30 years from now, they'll face the same plight as the consultant, which is, yeah. oh great, you learn to, you learn rote memory skills. You can memorize code. You can translate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, we, and there are a lot of really great initiatives to teach young people coding. So if you look at art in South yeah. Africa yeah. Um, and they're often language orientated. It's very interesting to me how you would teach young children a coding language instead of teaching them the, the associated mindset, which yeah. is creative problem solving or the computational problem solving method, which is just start with something and think it through. Yeah, or um, even the process of coding, right? So, you know, writing your code, but building the test cases beforehand and applying the thinking around the test cases for kind of test driven coding environments and building proper DevOps pipelines. That stuff is foreign to the kids who are coming out into our market, you know, trying to automate that process as much as possible to increase quality levels, for instance. It's all missing. Um, I want to go back on, on touching on, on the agile space. I mean, we, we speak about it quite a bit yeah. and we've had the likes of Justin Kutsia in talking about agile. And I think you've kind of nailed that on the head because uh, it is about a way of working and it, it, the way of working is really velocity, speed and quality. That's probably the opportunity for a consultancy. You know, if we start, I know we're throwing forward a little bit early in our conversation, but it, I don't see them necessarily adopting the way of work in their own businesses. And therefore it is not being driven into their customers' businesses. I mean, do, am I kind of getting that feeling right? I, I think you are. I, I think the challenge for them though is it's, it's very easy to say, this is what they need to become. The problem is how do they become that? Um, because they've got a set of habits and, and rules that fundamentally guide their behavior. And for them to suddenly become agile is very, very difficult. It's a culture problem, right? It, it is a culture problem. And if we look at, say, the example of General Electric that sat back and looked at their business and said, what we do needs to fundamentally transform to who we're actually doing it for mm. and how we actually do it. So they redesigned their organization from the ground up. And, and it's an incredibly tough job. And the problem is when you get exceptionally brilliant people, they tend to be exceptionally arrogant and stuck in their ways because they are the, the, the so-called expert. I am expert. the expert. Yeah, I am the expert. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think they face some fundamental challenges. It, it'll be a very, very difficult task for them to actually achieve. Yeah, if you look at, say, Deloitte, for instance, they're actually a nation state. Yeah. If you had to look at them, if you, if you drop the organization and label the, the thousand, tens of thousands of people who work at Deloitte to make up a country. Yeah. And if you had to look at the norms that they've applied or the, the rule of law that they've got, 
in there. It'd be very difficult to change those. It would be like coming into yeah. South Africa and saying, presidents, chuck those out. We don't need them. Um, yeah. yeah. Although yeah. I've often thought that might be yeah. a, a hell of a solution. It would be a great thing. Chucks it, the, but it's, it's easier said in practice. I mean, you can theorize that forever. For instance, yeah. we were chatting about the incentivization of consultants yeah. where you're incentivized to sell billable hours instead of generate value. Yeah. Mm. Just that tiny little tweak would change the way that they act. Completely. But to make that change no, at an organization that large would require fundamental change in the, all of their norms, all of the way that they behave, Absolutely. the way that they communicate to people, the way that leadership is designed into the system. Um, you start to unravel these organizations, and they're so complex. Um, but hell, it doesn't mean they shouldn't try. No, Because I think that's the message to them, right? If, you, yeah. if any of you are listening and you are a Deloitte consultant, yeah. um, you should be taking the power back at least and, and ensuring your yeah. future. Totally. So, like on that note, so they're leaving the door open for a competitive play, right? A disruption yeah. coming in from externally. Uh, question I want to put out there: Is it the agency, the digital agency, or the creative agency that is starting to? And you see what they're doing. The, the, the work they're getting seems to deep, step a lot deeper than just a marketing campaign. It's about building and launching product. It's yeah. about influencing um, more than just the CMO. I'd love to get you guys' views on that, right? I, I'd, I'd love to kick off on that because mm. I, I actually remember, I mean, when I was at, at, it was Deloitte, I was at Deloitte Digital, and I asked my, my then boss, we moved into consulting, I said, are we an agency or a consultancy? And for me, it was a very important question. And he said, I don't care what you want to call yourself, just produce the results and the money. But the problem is, as a consultancy, you know, I, I would have to put in a proposal of, say, two and a half million, where an agency would be putting in a proposal of one, one million or one and a half million. Yeah. So my, my, my ability to compete with an agency as a consultancy is actually very, very difficult. And the problem is you're actually almost moving yourself down the food chain. And on the flip side of it, the agencies are trying to pull up the, uh, themselves up the food chain. And Vince, I know you got some, some good thoughts on that. So I can't really talk to the agency side of it, but the, the, the consultancy side of it, to become an agency is, is very, very difficult. And I think also what these consultancies are doing is they're bringing in um, the, their old technology businesses and calling it digital businesses now. So mm. what they're really doing is putting lipstick on the pig and saying it's a brand new new picture. And it's, and it's not actually quite the case. Mm. Um, but I, th I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good question and, and it's a very difficult question for a lot of these consultancies to compete because the agencies are worried about it. But again, if they're not creating value – that's the opportunity. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. And I think um, having tried my hand at both, mm. uh, agency and consultancy, <coughs> agency and consultancy, having tried my hand at both, agency and consultancy, um, what I've noticed is that the agencies desperately want to, as you, as you point yeah. out, climb up the food, food chain. But in so doing, they often mirror the, the work that the consultancy does. So they yes. start billing by hours. They start suiting up. They start changing their processes, but it doesn't solve the number one problem I have with agencies is that there's a subtle irony to the fact that they're called agency when their clients has none. Yeah. So their client has no real agency. They can't make their own decisions without that thing called an agency. And the reason they can't do that is that the agency has all of the good ways of working embedded in it. So when it sells creative work, it's yeah. selling the output, which is an ad or a piece of copy. Yeah, that's so true. Um, instead of actually saying, and, so I suppose what is, what's even more frustrating is they often complain about their clients, agencies. Yeah. Clients don't get us. Well, of course they don't get us. Uh, you've never attempted to tell them how you work. Yeah. And there's no merit in you selling their process, a credit process, to the client because that's how you make your money. And they would build an internal agency, right? So and the that's minute the fear, you share, right? they'll in-house do your work. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I have a massive problem with both, right? 
Yeah. If they start working higher up in the value chain, someone might actually call them out and say, well, hold on, you actually just make ads. What value do they solve? Yeah. Do they, I mean, I, I understand from a sales perspective, they sell that value, but if you want to move into the product or service des- design disciplines, boy, that changes everything about the way that you sell, the way that the business model works. Because the other fundamental flaw that with agencies is look at the, the youngsters who are doing the work in agencies. Yeah. They want to elevate up into the consultant space and suddenly they're meeting for the first time ever a Deloitte, McKinsey or Bain consultant who's had, level, right? who has their MBA, who's <coughs> yeah. done their BCom, who's had 15, 20 years of experience in business. And they think that for the first time ever, they're going to pitch at that level. Sure. There's a flaw there. You can't Definitely. change. There, there's a massive imbalance of value. So there's an expectation. We want that work, but we don't want to pay our staff the right amount of money to get the right amount yeah. of ta- the right talent because they're not that. billing because they don't have the brand presence uh, stature you know kind of precedent or, or, I guess. Or even the question of value because i mean that was my challenge is you know your, your proposals become very very expensive and, and it makes it very very difficult to sell which of course increases the pressure because you're, you're losing more work than you can actually acquire so the, i mean so uh, if we look at these two worlds just from an agency and consultancy point of view, uh, both have massive challenges, right? They both try to extend out of their domains because they're seeing less and less value offered. So I guess the question is, extending into each other's spaces, is that really a value proposition if both feel they're lacking the, the the real kind of business opportunity in each other's areas. I suppose it depends like the, who you are, because right? if you're me, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Mutually assured destruction is part of, is is fantastic for people who are on the periphery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I have a massive concern because I think all those creative people who work in agencies are wonderful. I think some of the most interesting mm. people I've ever met are executive creative directors of agencies, and I often want them to share their process and their practice with our clients. I'm desperate for them to do that. Reveal how you work. Similarly for consultants, I want them to reveal how you gather intelligence, build a case. Yeah. They have got so much to teach, but they're not willing to help trans- the organizations get better. So I'm seeing it in the bank, by the way. Yeah. We're hiring less and less consultants and taking most of the burden on ourselves, which has a massive impact on the corporate structure and culture as well. So can I, can, ask, can really I ask fun. a question? Is that yeah. because of the value that they're not creating or the, or, or the cost cutting that's happening in the bank? So I guess it's the, it's a combination of the two, right? Okay. The, the, the cost cutting is because the bank is under pressure. There's tough economic times. Um, the RAND's getting hammered. We've got political instability. All those kind of things that are affecting the bank needing to be more efficient. And along with that efficiency comes, well, are we getting the value from these astronomical consultancy fees so you see it in the bank we're investing in a design agency 80 designers sitting in the bank i mean that would usually be at the domain of an agency coming in and supporting that same talented people so i guess again i'm kind of pondering with the idea we all wanted to join agencies and consultancies because we wanted breadth right breadth of cross our career to experience multiple brands or multiple problems that we can solve Yet businesses seem to be addressing those problems themselves now. A lot of people ask us why I'm so uh, gun ho about the financial services. We, mm. we, we have the luxury of working with some of the, the best people at, at Investec, for instance. Mm. Um, and the reason I believe that is I think that the meaningful challenges to solve are in their businesses. Yeah. Boom. That, and being so close to them and being embedded in the, their work allows us to see opportunities to tweak things here and there that might actually create massive value. Yeah, but the the game plan from our side is not to extract, not to be extractive, 
In other words, make as much yeah. money as we can from the client. It's can I see a more meaning in the work that the teams that we're working with? Uh, can yeah. we see a little bit more happiness? Can we reduce churn? Yeah. Um, so take us through the process that you guys actually do when it comes to the staff, because I mean, I, I think it's the most. It's the, it's part, you know, culture eats everything for breakfast. It really does. It's the most important thing in the organization. You manage culture, you manage your business. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's, it's a key area that you guys focus on. It's an interesting one because culture is such an ambiguous term. I mean, I, yeah. having come from the sociology discipline, there are books and books that try to nail the, the definition of culture. And the best I've seen it put is it's how we work around here. So, yeah. if, so if you imagine it's as wide as possible, it's just how we work around here. And that's everything from systems, processes, tools, and the people and how they interact. So after about six years of, of working as a trainer, as a training better ways to work, we realized through repeat experimentation, the only way to make change in organizations if they want to work better is to embed in their organizations. So you see this quite a lot in the agile practices, which yeah. we've stolen, stolen liberally from, mm. or the lean coaches, yeah. uh, which we've stolen liberally from. They tend to get involved in the work. So our domain is to encourage people to apply design to their work. So we've stolen from our agile coaching practice and said, well, look what they do. They seem to embed in their work. Correct. Yeah. Um, if you look at a lot of the work that the lean coaches are doing, which is around introducing new ways to work in weekly cycles to eliminate waste with yeah. shorter batch uh, work and improve the feedback, we've just stolen that and thought, well, maybe there's a rhythm that we can start practicing um, as designers. What we're seeing, however, that popped up immediately was um, – a lot of the work that we were doing was creating lots of feedback, yeah. but we weren't getting the feedback we wanted. So the organization was broken. The people weren't broken. So yeah, imagine exactly. that when we're trying to do design, the, the number one blocker that would come up would be the hippo, so the highest paid person in the room. Yeah. yeah. The whole time, right? Seniority. It's this organizational structure. Absolutely. So, so we started realizing, well, if we're coaching design, actually the companion is organization design. Maybe we still need to look at the fundamentals of how we work yeah. first. Totally. So, totally. Totally agree with you. Because if you get those wrong, and you can do that whatever you like as a design coach or an agile coach, um, and, I, and I have probably strong, some of the strongest criticism for the agile world because the principles are often espoused, um, but then yeah. people throw their hands up in the air when the organization doesn't, in fact, do that. Yeah, oh, get hit by the butts. Exactly. Yeah. And so, we, so we started looking at that, and, and a large part of the work that we do now is actually designing the system of work, the process at work, looking at things like incentive schemes. Looking at okay. things like how executives interact with their uh, their teams, how teams work together. Yeah. The design is almost periphery to that now. We realize that the output uh, could be creativity, could be design, could be something in tech, is actually uh, second to just getting a team to work better together. Correct. Uh, and what we're quite interested in now is, is, is there's a large trend towards that being a major focus at the executive level. So you'll yeah. hear lots of execs saying culture is the most important thing I work on. I just have no idea how to do that. Yeah, because they think that culture cannot be deliberately designed, and so our, our hypothesis is that you can intentionally design the culture that you want. Yeah, if you want to design a culture, a digital culture, a creative culture, you can design that. It's not something that you should just let happen. A hundred percent, absolutely. Um, it does. It does happen deliberately. You know, a vacuum is a deliberate strategy. Absolutely, and, and certainly things like um, a vertical hierarchy in a company yeah. that's a deliberate structure. Uh, you you yeah. can undermine that by by taking it away. Yeah, 100%. so if people think that culture just happens, they're often unwilling to look at the fundamentals. And when you say deliberate, it's actually in someone. Sorry, I've, I've been there, done it, designing my organization, and it was purely an individual going, "Well, let's put this person reporting to that person, and that person reporting to this." But 
that's as far as the logic goes. So, you know, you're surrounded by that. And our job was really to say, well, let's not have this person reporting to that person reporting to that. Let's rather figure out who we're going to trust to get the job done and allow them these safe spaces to be able to operate and, and execute. Uh, and I guess it's trust, right? So maybe trust is being designed. Absolutely. I mean, Google's done some really exceptional research on what makes teams work. And the mm. number one mm. thing that they brought up was emotional safety. Mm. Now, you can design, design deliberately for emotional safety. Mm. You can coach people through empathic methods. You can yeah. make people um, build empathy into everyday work yeah. by simple things. And the Agile community and does this ex- extremely well with what they would call the the stand-ups and chickens. Yeah. yeah. Right. There are already better and more human ways of working that are embedded in some of these practices. Um, and, I th- and I think the transformation is happening. I, I just worry, and just to bring it back to consultants, we live in such an unpredictable time, and boy, I'm tired of hearing that, this VUCA principle. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. um, but one of the things that's certainly rung true to me is how often executives feel that the world is so unpredictable that they just need a dose of certainty. Who better to hire than a consultant? Yeah. And so they would come in and do similar work to us, but the way that they start the work is with a great PowerPoint presentation. So you mentioned yeah. PowerPoint. Yeah. And it's a certain framework. Here's how change will work. So there's an entire category of people, I guess, called change yeah. managers. Yeah. Um, and, and they sort of fiddle in the same things we do, which is culture. But yes. they do it from a, they take the word intentional to mean we can predict how people will behave. Impossible. So we'll pr- provide a yeah. framework for the digital transformation. You see quite a lot in banks, actually. Yeah. There's a great presentation. Almost all of the people who are listening who are in banking, I guarantee you've seen a, a great presentation on digital transformation. Yeah. And there's a strategy that looks at five years ahead and says, here's how we'll get there. So that, that's fallen prey to that sort of change and, yeah. management person. And, and, and that framework is actually the products that the consultancies are now trying to sell. So they'll sit at a global level. They'll figure out this product that is most sexiest to sell that consumes massive amount of hours and we'll put that forward on the table. So they're trying to productize their world and you see it all over. They, they, they get their teams to be able to learn the product, pitch the product, sell the product. It's yeah. quite fascinating, right? So, oh, And yeah. I get where it comes from. Change is hard. Yeah, it's very so, hard. So if you're an executive, and I, can, I must admit I've never been an executive, I'm sure one day God forbid I have a big enough company that I'm an executive one day and yeah, don't all in one at the bank. Um, no, or but, a consultancy. But, but I can imagine the burden on your yeah. shoulders because your entire organization has set you up to make the one big decision. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't have a distributed authority, don't have distributed responsibility, you don't actually have anyone else to turn to. So yeah. the best yeah. people you can turn to are outsiders because you fundamentally yeah. believe that they hold the truth or hold the keys to the truth. So you make the decision, you invest in a McKinsey, and I can't fold you for that. It's the same as the IBM theory, right? Exactly. So no one will ever be fired. Correct. No one is ever going to get fired for IBM. Yeah. Um, and, and the interesting thing, of course, from, from my side is just there is a better way to do it. It just takes some, I guess, bravery to do what the Ready, which is a really interesting company in our space, uh, calls d- experiments with radical intent. Oh, so I they like would, that. That's it's just cool. such a beautiful very phrasing, cool. right? And, and it comes from, I guess, this broader movement around lean change. So stealing lean and applying it to change, yeah. which is that every week in your team, you could try one thing new to see what it, what it does because the, in systems, there will always be feedback. Yeah. Correct. Um, and over time, something will emerge. Yeah. 100%. Uh, which is cool, right? I, I get super excited when we see teams do that, which is every week we just get to discover something new. It fits badly with the consulting model. Totally. Right? Because I have no predictability. Correct. I have no idea what it will work on. It fits so well with the design model. Which is we just want to solve human uh, challenges humans face. Yeah. So it gels with our imp- our need to be principled in our work, 
It, it, it may not gel well if we were profit oriented. No, absolutely, and 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 it, and it is a big challenge because you know you know what we can't really blame the consultants. They're a victim of the economy. Their own success. No, 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 not at all. They're, they're a victim of our economic system because we we the economic system is designed for profit. It's not designed for humans. Yeah, and and that's that's really the fundamental. And that's why you need that stability, right? Because you're yeah. consistently having to report back to your shareholders that you've planned a three percent growth this year. Whereas these new digital businesses are actually striving for a 20% or 100% growth. Absolutely. So they need to think completely out of the box, which brings massive sets of risks. Brett, you must have faced this. I mean, right? Mm. You must have been asked to predict the future. Mm. Yeah, I do. I actually many, remember many my times. very first meeting in the Payment Innovation Forum. And I sat down and I said, so you're head of digital. Yep. Great. So tell us how we are going to win the payment game. It was like that. It was crickets, yeah. right? And I literally said to them, guys, well, you know what? If I knew that, I wouldn't be sitting in this boardroom. <laughs> and that, exactly. And I guess that. Yeah. So in that situation, right. right, what would you do? My instinct would be, I just need something to sell these guys. Yeah. Man, if I just had a PowerPoint presentation right now that I could <laughs> exactly. really play on, I would love that. And so the shortcut is hire someone who's got that thing ready. Yeah, exactly. The long route is, okay, we want to improve the well-being of our entire ecosystem. Yeah. That sounds like a long project. Yeah. 100%. So we'll take a gamp, we'll take a punt on that. We'll do something on the side, which is we'll set up a digital business unit or set up a design yeah. business unit and we'll play there in a sandbox environment. Every bank's got one. Yep. Um, innovation. A digital unit, a, <laughs> yeah, an innovation team where they can sandbox new yeah. ideas, sandbo- uh, do things in the sandbox. And you realize that they're fundamentally they're not playing with the real stuff because it's too scary. Correct. Um, because they're trying to start at a macro level, trying yeah. to start a, by chucking a president out. Instead of starting at a grassroots level and saying, as a community, a small community on a streetwide level, if we're going to use the follow the metaphor of a city very badly, at a streetwide (laughs) level, what can we do today that could improve our well-being and and being comfortable that the results will just be at the team Um, level for now? Absolutely, but but also you you know I think the problem is more deeper than that because at the very heart, a lot of these organisations, it's impossible to innovate from inside the organisation because most of us are so tied up in in our day-to-day job, we actually don't give a shit. You know, yeah. our KPIs are, are becoming more aggressive. Um, our targets are becoming harsher. We, we're not interested in, in innovation. In fact, innovation is the biggest curse to us as, as, as individuals in an organization. You don't want to look at innovation. But especially if you think of innovation as this thing in the corner. For me, innovation is freeing up the time to be able to just try something different. Yes, but the problem is right? you've got a hippo in the room. Yeah, and, and you've got an entire system that says, wait, hold on, at the end of every month. Remember, we, we're still playing with lives. So I often have to remind myself that, that yeah. when we're doing these experiments, someone has to get paid at the end of the month. Correct. Because they might have kids or a house uh, yeah. that they're paying for. And that their KPIs are the reason they get paid. And the performance yeah. measure is the reason they get the bonus at the end of the year. So I come yeah. along and I say, let's try some new stuff. And it feels like a distraction oftentimes. Yeah. Um, which is but why we've sort of arrived now at trying to make – so our coaching offering is – in the pursuit of doing the work you're already doing, let's see if we can do some other stuff so that you don't yeah. feel that. Because it's six years of experimentation and failing badly. Right. Having teams report to us that you've distracted us and we failed on our important missions. Um, and it goes down to that, what is failure, right? So um, you can use the cliche of fail fast, fail forward, but to actually implement that in an organization structured uh, so can't. heavily around KPIs. You can't. Which brings me to the point, even consultants work around a set of KPIs. Damn it, can we not just kill KPIs? Can we not just 
set uh, tangible metrics that are based around customer-driven revenue metrics rather than the KPI? You can once you've actually killed the main KPI, and that's the profit incentive. Or alternatively, if you kill off the individualized nature of careers. Yeah. And so instead of looking at the way we work together as a team and our shared value, which is, for me, a healthier way of looking Correct. at it, which is what communities and cities goes do. forward, right? Right. Yeah. If the city improves, <clears throat> yeah. it improves by the collective Everything. action of the citizenry. You yeah. don't look at organizations mm-hmm. like that. There's a great stat um, that says that every – I think it's every time a city grows 10 times, it grows exponentially in efficiency. Whereas every time organizations grow that fast, oh, they become less efficient. Less efficient. Yeah. So it's curious why that happens. And I think it's part of that mm. is a large part of the organization is set up to reward an individual. So even if you look at middle yeah. management or senior management, it's often reward the middle manager or the senior manager for the work that their team has done. Individually, their input is very limited. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't distribute value. So already, already if you start off like that, You've set up an entire system where performance is rewarded at the individual level, and of course it warrants sabotage. Mm. So I will start sabotaging people, and I will climb all over them. The political, yeah. Absolutely, and I'll do it all the time to get more incentives. So if you look at KPIs, for instance, I'm measured by my individual contribution. It's my key performance indicator. Yeah. It's never what did you do for the collective action. What? Now, yeah, of course, those, those are the soft and yeah, fluffy things that mm. may be. Exactly. Yeah. We don't pay you for that, but that would be a nice to have. Yeah. So it's a byproduct of doing all the other stuff. And, and it's very interesting to me that you're starting to see some change. So peer review is starting to get, become mm. a part of it. But really, that's just sort of a fluffy add-on to you. We actually kind of need you to attend more meetings or the kind of the typical feedback we see in organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's quite sad. Yeah, you, it is. 75% of your life is spent at work. And I've we're s- bugging around, fulfilling KPIs that are not driving any additional value to the environment around us, ourselves and teams. So I want to take this point to kind of look at uh, throwing forward a bit. So hashtag throw it forward. And by the way, if you've just joined Futurology, um, please uh, give us a five-star rating. We'd love that when you're on the podcast. Um, We're at uh, Futurology Show on Twitter. Uh, Tweet us any questions and we'll retweet it. Um, Let's throw forward a bit. Um, we we definitely seeing some big changes in the organizational structures and a lot of pressures and there's a lot of demand right from mm. what we've just discussed like we want to change. Um, how do we see consultancies maybe in five or ten years time if every conversation that we're tending to have these days is hinged around culture change and redesigning things and focusing on the customer. That feels like what a future consultancy is going to look like. Are, are they going to look like more like our customers and behave more like our customers and less so like a Harvard MBA? Uh, uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure there's a clear answer on this because really, if you if you apply the the this new approach to work, this this lean agile thought process. Mike's got his thinking face on. Yeah, I do. Um, it looks very serious. Yeah, I, I do. I can't believe it. Hashtag what Mike's it. Yeah, I had to actually think about this. But, <laughs> I'm but, giving you some time to think. That's yeah. What thank I'm doing you. There. Thank you. Stop distracting me now. <laughs> but but I think you, you know ultimately our customers themselves will become our new consultants because. 
The problem with organizations today is that they don't take their customer series. Customers are external to the organization and therefore are an inconvenience. But the reason your business exists is, is to actually solve their fundamental problem. And if you're not able to actually solve that fundamental problem, you've, you've actually got a bigger problem. And it's a problem that consultancies cannot actually solve. Because they're too far away from the customer, right? They're far too far away from the customer. And also the idea of the efficiencies and, and the, 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 this approach that they can bring in terms of optimization is becoming less relevant. Um, because if you are actually understanding your customer far more effectively and you're designing an iterative business around your customer, because that's what it will become, is an iterative business, not an iterative product, not an iterative solution. Your business will become iterative. Um, and I think those organizations that adapt that thought process will eventually – they won't need a consultant. What do you need a consultant for? You might need a deep specialist in, say, HR management around a very specific problem. So I, I think the, 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 the fudge factor that consultants come with today – will become completely irrelevant. Well, you see, like, uh, uh, pardon me wants to say, yes, I agree, they're going to either reinvent or, or disappear or die. But then I do look at businesses like Google. So my, I keep using my point yeah. of reference in this as Google, who used to do this stuff themselves. They've grown to a certain size. They've hired, had to hire um, ex-Microsoft or Oracle or more traditional legacy businesses yeah. who have done what? Reestablish the world of consultancies within these amazing digital businesses. You're finding the big management consultants back in there. So is this just a trend that they're kind of suffering or is it something that they will die off or will the businesses that use them die off before they die off? Yes, that's a hell of a question. I mean, I, I think what, to their credit, what they've always been good at is amassing incredible amounts of intelligence. Mm. Yeah. I read a lot, uh, university press. Frequently, um, I look at the way that they look at the world, and that's changing too. If you look at the way that they're recruiting people now, that's changed massively. Yeah. So I think they'll be around for some time because they've understood they need to change. Where I'm interested to see if we cast our eyes to five to ten years is how are the two groups of people they've recruited into their businesses will interact with one another. So as they look for more people yeah. like me, I guess, mm. um, with the, what they would deem the softer skills mm. around social system design, I wonder how the, the those two groups of people interact with another. My my purpose in the world is to make work better, not make more money. So already yeah. there's a there, yeah. there's an, there's a the way that I look at the world is very yeah. different. Yeah. So I'd be very interested to see how those two communities will interact, because you can see that the way that they're recruiting has fundamentally changed. They're looking at the social sciences now and thinking we need more of those people. Yeah. Yeah. And if we want to get into the creative game, the digital services space, we, we need more of those weird kids as well. And then yeah. and then you wonder well. I wonder why there's such a high churn rate in the digital agency There's pocket of the big consultancies. They move very quickly. Yeah. They start very interesting startups because they've been exposed to lots of intelligence, um, which is an interesting insight, I suppose, for a, a big consultancy. While once you're exposed to the insight, does it not feel like it's the work that you would want to do is at home in the agency? Yeah. You feel like you have to leave to go and make your new startup in, say, artificial intelligence or robotics. There's they no home here. incubating these ideas and become a this modern VC, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you look at the, I mean, the popularity of things like Singularity University, one of the things that Salim Ishmael speaks about quite a lot is that exponential organizations, mm. which is propped up quite a bit by the big consultancies because they preach the same thing. Yeah. Drop the perimeter around your organization. Let the third parties in to well, build something. they the same book, right? <laughs> and they're, they're preaching it, right? It, yeah. It's super interesting to me the difference between the espousing values 
and then meeting those in reality. So we can espouse that we want ex- ex- oh, ex- what's it called? exponential organizations. Yeah, I trip up yeah. on that every single time. <laughs> I want to call it existential organizations. It would be far funnier <laughs> if there was an existential organization and there was a philosopher king leading the organization. <laughs> that would be very I would, cool. Yeah, I'd happily sign up for that. Uh, yeah. I'm with you. Um, but sadly, there's none. And so, so they espouse these values. And you look at really smart people working in the big consultancies. They don't think that there's a home for their startup there. Yeah, which is very interesting to me. If I look at two to five years from now, I would I would imagine there'll be lots more coffee shops and baristas that are. What did you do? Oh, now I was at McKinsey. Yeah, oh, brilliant, right? Yeah, exactly. And and so why did you leave? Well, I wanted to do explore some really interesting stuff. I've met very recently. I met the owner of uh, two food trucks. Yeah, and I said, where do you work? And he said, uh, one of the biggest design agencies in the world. And I said, there's no ways you left the big design agencies to start a burger truck. And he's like, that's what I wanted to do with my time. It felt more meaningful. Yeah, I serve burgers now. And so actually, that's a very good point. The meaningfulness of working for a large organization. So um, uh, uh, there's a lot of that consolidation at the moment, right, in, in uh, our capitalistic kind of economies, which is always about growing to the point of an, uh, of an uh, well, I can't even say it, monopoly. Um, but as individuals – as much as we want to be in big mm. teams and big communities, I think there's still that desire to not be part of this big monolithic beast. And I'd love to see yeah. with, with scale and technology and access that actually it becomes an organization of billions. Well, I mean, that'd be fascinating, it, right? It, it would, but you, you know the problem, and, and most of us, and you, you might have experienced, I mean, I, I, I certainly went through it in my life, is – we, we get sold the myth, and one of the worst work myths is you, you will be happy and you will, working will lead to prosperity. Working, leading to prosperity? Yeah, and, and, and it's a complete myth because what actually yeah. happens is the more you work and the more money you make, you get kind of hooked into these golden handshakes, uh, golden handcuffs. Which is to your incentive point. Yeah, it's to the incentive point. But also not only that is the more you accumulate, the, the greater your fear that you, you will actually lose. And when we flip this around to the other side, um, we, we look at the, the poor and we say, you know, they, they look up in envy of, at what you actually do have. And South Africa is a very, very good case study yeah. on this. Um, and, and what actually fundamentally drives the economic system or this idea of, of work is fear, greed, and envy. And these are incredibly destructive human emotions. So the myth that work leads to well-being and prosperity is, is, is absolute bullshit. And you suddenly find this. And this is why an Oaks flipping burgers in a, in a van because he suddenly woke up and he said, hang on, Boom. this is bullshit. I don't want to do this. I, 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 I look at the myth. I look at what I've got to do. I look at the rat race and, and this is not meaningful. It doesn't lead to my well-being and prosperity. I mean, I'd love to get the feedback of a very talented consultant because, man, they, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're better at everything. So therefore they're their sense and their emotions are in, in this kind of era that you're talking about, they must be prime for getting out of the agency. So actually you've got an individual who's busting to get out, but desperate to be in. And I think the interesting thing there is that the world has, has, has caught on to that. There's a, there's the adhocracy movement, which is just to never yeah. have a career again and just take on challenges. And you'll find, I think if we had to look two to three years in the future, 
Most consultants will now work in some ad hocracy. Yeah. Wow, difficult word again. Yeah. I'm impressed. Ad hocracy. Yeah, big oh. words. Yeah, we um, usually have Brett Lindsay here, and it's one or two syllables. If we like. <laughs> I might go back to grunting after this. Uh, <laughs> grunts are a little bit less complicated than saying ad hocracy three times. Yeah, but the but the ad hocracy movement, which I'm quite excited about, is, is where I think experts will be ordered on demand. Five. Um, and uh, they'll and they'll yeah. work in a large network. They were, if McKinsey and Deloitte are smart. They'll use what they've got already, which is a massive network of incredibly smart yes. people, and lose the idea of job altogether. Boom. So get rid of their offices, put everyone onto a crowdsourcing platform called McKinsey.com, and then people kind of offer their services on an ad hoc basis to solve various customer problems. Wow. And treat labor more like a market, which yeah. is what it, what it was right. initially exactly. set up to do. Exactly. I think one of the fundamental frustrations, if they don't, and, and Karl Marx spoke about this quite a lot, which I think he termed as the alienation of species being yeah. um, this idea that as a species, we're very adept at creativity. We're toolmakers. Yeah. Makes us very different. We're toolmakers and we're able to be reflective. So we're quite special in that regard. And if you look at work over the last sort of 120 years, it's actually taking us further away from the time when Karl Marx wrote about this at the first. Yeah. As his, as his massive frustration with work, we've actually gotten worse. So yeah. I, I dismiss this idea that we're living in um, quantifiably better times. I think we've got some of the outputs of better, which is that we are, we're living better. We're living in yeah. – we can eat. Our yeah, chairs are softer. Food is less yeah. scarce. Water is less scarce. But I worry that we haven't actually improved the conditions of work at all. And we're still in the rat race. And that that's really scary to me um, because we, we haven't stopped to think, well, hell, why do we do all of this stuff? No, and, and I think the simple proof of this is climate change. Because if we actually look at the output sure, of it, Mike, all of it. You threw me sideways there. <laughs> I did not expect you to say that. No, sorry about that, Brett. <laughs> Try to keep up with the show here, Brett. <laughs> These Brett's, all of them yeah, need, they, all of them need yeah, to go. They, they do. Vince, you want a show? You want to come join us on a weekly basis? I can be a Brett. <laughs> you can be a Brett. WTF. Oh, there we go. There we go. But it is. I mean, we look at the output of, of this entire system, and, and climate change is a very real factor it says you know the success of this the ecosystem is breaking it's not it's not working there's an exceptionally good book by i think doug groshkoff on yes. it's called throwing stones at the google bus yes oh, on yeah. extractive monopolies it's one of the it. most uh, profound books I, I agree with you and I, I i've read it twice i, I couldn't put it down I, it was it, yeah still can't read the first read the read. first page or yeah. well, the first couple of pages and you'll get the gist of it which is effectively yeah. we've set up these monopolistic businesses to extract more than they give yeah, and and if you look at the VC mm. space, um, which I'm loath to even speak about because I'm so tired of it. Yeah, uh, most of the VCs are looking for exponential growth in their investments. Mm. If we look at Uber right now, they're pr they're actually prompted to be unethical. They are correct because their investors say we need more, and yeah. the only way to get more is to break the rules. Totally. Yeah. So you st you start seeing the behaving behaving in a very unethical way, which, to be quite honest, is what happened to the consultancies in South Africa. And exactly. such enormous pressure to deliver returns to their stakeholders. Quite they right. took unethical decisions and sold us down the river as a country. Quite yeah. right. Uh, Thanks, absolutely. McKinsey, Deloitte, yeah. etc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is super interesting to me is that not only the incentives at the worker are a problem, the incentives at stakeholder level are a problem. We've abstracted work so much from our species that we're actually asking companies to be unethical continuously. Yeah. Stakeholders don't know how the bank behaves. They don't know how Uber behaves because they see the the, the output the output not, as a indices yeah. yes. or set a number. Yeah. Yeah. They don't see value. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's super interesting time to be in the work of work.
Yeah, yeah I, 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 I quite agree. Yeah, so quite agree. If, if consultancies in the future are going to literally be a platform play, um, that's going to realign their ethical stance, right? Um, what is going to kind of govern this kind of ethical code? Of the future, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, you do have corporate practices, you do have a whole lot of codes and culture that guides these organizations and hopefully the right direction. Um, but now you're going to take all that away and leave it to market forces. Are we not going down a worse path? I, I don't think as a species that we're naturally adept at screwing ourselves over. Mm. I think that interestingly, a Pretoria high school boy has shown us that there are better ways yeah. to work. He was right here, that Elon guy. I have I no you've idea heard of, who yeah, he is. You know, you've heard of him once or twice before. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, solar is quite big. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's very interesting to me, right, that he's looking at the future of our species and thinking, water shortage, let's go to Mars. Yeah. Uh, energy consumption, let's solve that. And and I think um, we we run a little uh, community called Open Ideo, which is a part of the social yes. good community that Ideo runs, um, a large design company out of California. Yeah. They're looking at social impact challenges as a way to do business. So they've spun the idea of what a design firm means to look at social impact. Yeah. So let's take CSI budgets and actually do some good with them. I wonder if one day if we had a big network of really smart people, if they'll naturally bias to the problems that they really want to solve as a species. Um, and I wonder if bosses, once they've gone away, uh, stakeholders have gone away, where the people left to their own devices will do good. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hypothesis that the, the network will do good. Um, I, I think it will. I think once we take away the fear of, of not eating – and, and the need for absolute survival. Uh, I think it changes absolutely everything. I know where you're going with that, right? Well, I, I think really there are just too many variables. We, yeah. we look at the economics. We look at um, money. We look at, at how we do business. We look at uh, education. I think the, the variables are so wide and, 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 and deep, deep that it's very hard to predict. But I do think w- once they actually all clash together, I think a very interesting outcome will, will come. Either we'll blow up or we'll, we'll blow up in a different kind of way. But so, uh, that's me out. Brett, over to yeah, you. Yeah, I was about to say, that's a fantastic wrap-up, Mike. I think you've done a great job. So, guys, um, we are literally down to our last minute. Vincent, um, any last thoughts around where this is going? Is it good, bad? Sure. I think the, the only thing to think about is not to be afraid of debunking the myth that, that people hold dear about work. Mm-hmm. I'm so nervous of people who don't ever ask questions about it. Why is it this way? Mm. And we, we often in the design practice when we're starting a project ask five whys. I think if you had to do one thing after listening to this is to ask yourself five whys about wh- the way that you work today. Correct. So yeah. why do you listen to a boss? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't even know how to answer that. Because um, she's my wife. That's true. That's, that's probably true. <laughs> and on, on, on that point, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic, guys. Absolute pleasure having Vince Hoffman on the show. Mike, as usual, you sexy beast. Thank you. Um, Brett, we'll hopefully see you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for following us. First of all, on at the Futurology Show. Please rate us five stars. And that's us. Thank you very much. This is CliffCentral.com.